Hi, friends. Oh, hi, birdies. Okay, I've been saying hi, friends so much. Hey, the little birdie. Hey, there, little birdie. How you doing? I hope you guys are doing good. I hope you guys are doing well and staying safe and mm -hmm. keeping perspective and all of that. Right, and being able to find and experience joy in spite of the difficulty of the situation. Yeah. And that's all we can really hope for. Mm hmm And today... Yes, ma'am. If you thought you were getting an episode that was going to be like, we have all the answers, I promise you, girl, you might... Want to tune into somebody else's podcast. Yeah, because we ain't got shit figured <laughs> We ain't got nothing figured out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we wanted to probe around this idea of this humongous idea that a million people have tried to figure out or just assess or talk right. about. And today we want to talk about uh, the meaning and purpose for existence. Small, small <laughs> you know, adventure, just, your, just a little, you know, nothing Your standard. Much. Exactly. The purpose of life. <laughs> um, all those big questions. Right. Uh, no, I, it's really funny to think about it, but I think it's a really, um, if it's a more timely question, I think this is it. And exactly, because we have a whole lot of time to ponder that right now. Yeah. Given our quarantine situation. Yeah. So this morning before this episode, me and Debbie were talking about um, kind of the literature that we've been reading um, recently. And for class, I'm just was, uh, we just read... Miss Julie, then we walked into um, Streetcar Named Desire, and now I just read Reading, uh, Waiting for Godot um, by Samuel Beckett uh, literally a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And, whew. Some nice, it, heavy yeah. reading. Yeah, some super heavy, cryptic <laughs> reading. Very emotional. It, I had a very emotional response to it, and, um, and Deppie's been reading... Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I read a lot of articles throughout the week, but this is the book I'm reading. I'm taking my time highlighting, taking notes. And um, on top, I listen to a lot of the, the podcasts where Glennon is talking about this book as well as being interviewed by other folks. It's a really good book. It makes you think. It's not... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not something that I would read through quickly just because you want to read little bits of it pause, ponder, internalize, and then put into action. Oh my kind gosh. Of book. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely not an, it's not something you want to just read like in one sitting, which I usually do. I just read it in one to two sittings and I'm done. But That's this wild. one I've been taking my time. Oh yeah. Like waiting for God, it was <sighs> intense. It was hard. It was very, it's, uh, reading the script is very difficult. So, um, we were able to like watch a movie and have the script on hand and just like, just to hear the voices. But um, mm -hmm. uh, I'll just read a brief synopsis of Waiting for Godot for anyone who doesn't know what it is. Um, I'm just reading from the back of it. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, from an inauspicious, how you say, in inauspicious? A, yeah, inauspicious beginning mm -hmm. at the tiny left bank theater uh, in 1953, Waiting for God of. Forgado, I keep mm -hmm. saying Godot. Forgado mm -hmm. has become one of the most important and enigmatic plays of the past 50 years and a cornerstone of 20th century drama. 
The story revolves around two seamless, <laughs> seemingly homeless men waiting for someone or something named Gatto. Vladimir and Estragon wait near a tree inhabiting a drama spun of their own consciousness. The result is a comical word, world, sorry, word play of poetry, dreamscapes, and nonsense, which has been interpreted as mankind's inexhaustible search for meaning. Beckett's language pioneered an expressionistic minimalism that captured the existential post-war... I'm sorry, guys. I'm on my second cup of coffee. It's okay. It's kicking in. (laughs) Existential post-World War II Europe. His play remains one of the most magical and beautiful allegories allegories jeez <laughs> I wow you just need that was a new word i can't breathe <laughs> it's okay take your time and beautiful allegories of our time mm-hmm. <sighs> that's all i gotta say you read yours okay I failed at mine. no uh, no you didn't fail those are a lot of big words okay those are words that you have in your conversations every day Thank so you. be nice to yourself so be nice what movie is that from? Come on, somebody tell me. B. I don't know. Play nice. What is that from? Toy Story. Oh, I did. I should have guessed that. <laughs> Alejandro would have known. <laughs> Come on now, Lisette. Okay, so let, I'm just, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read a part of it. It says, um, let me see, let me see. For many years, Glennon Doyle denied her own discontent. Then, while speaking at a conference, she looked at a woman across the room and fell instantly in love. Three words flooded her mind. There she is. At first, Glennon assumed these words came to her from on high, but she soon realized they had come to her from within. This was her own voice, the one she heard buried beneath decades of numbing addictions, cultural conditioning, and institutional allegiances. This was the voice of the girl she had been before the world told her who to be. Glennon decided to quit abandoning herself and instead abandon the world's expectations of her. She quit being good so she could be free. She quit pleasing instead of living. Mmm. I'll leave it there. So we chose these texts because they have a similar parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, like what it means to exist. Right. And, and I think Glennon Doyle talks about... Uh, the way that you've explained it to me is it's been more of like, how does she choose to exist specifically and cater to her own existence? Mm -hmm. Um, And in waiting for Gatto, um, it says it's a tragic comedy. Mm -hmm. So they blend those words. And I think it's really funny because it is, there's a lot of moments of just play amongst the search for meaning. Right. And, um, and that sounds like life. It, Tragic and funny at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Life, right? It, in Streetcar, um, in the script that I have, Tennessee Williams in the back of the book, he actually interviews himself. His, himself, excuse me. Um, which is really funny. Like, he has, an mm-hmm. inter- he has an interviewer persona and he answers it. And he says that life is like reading a funny paper backwards. Uh... A that's funny book backwards. Hmm. So, uh, that's what is that? Interesting. Well, yeah, what does that mean? What that means, hold on, wait, let me read the BRB. Okay, she'll be right back, guys. She just went to go grab her book. You can hear me running. Yeah, that's come how on, close we on. are. <sighs> so, in the back of Streetcar, Tennessee Williams says, hmm. Oh, I see. 
Uh, Did you find it? Oh, no, it's actually not in his. So in the question, he says, you think the world's going mad? And his answer is going, I'd say nearly gone. As the gypsy said in Camino, in Camino Real, the world is a funny paper read backwards. And that way, it isn't so funny. <laughs> That's interesting. What does that mean? A funny paper read backwards? I think it's that there is comedy in the world like that we exist with all these ironies and uh and can you give me a visual of what that means because i'm thinking i'm like say example using this glennon's book i'm reading her story i'm reading this book but from the back from the end to the beginning is that what he means i think it's like by reading things backwards right because we're always playing catch up with living and and things like that we're always trying to catch up that we lose the humor in all of it. And the focus. And the focus of it. Because if you're reading a story backwards and you know the ending. Yeah. Right? That you know the ending, it's terribly sad. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, if you're reading it in chronological order, it doesn't... Make sense sometimes. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, or Tennessee Williams can call me and be like, girl, that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I'm going with call you. Call me up, Tennessee. Yes. <laughs> My but number that, is no. Just message us on Facebook yeah. or Instagram. Yeah, so that's just that's just something that I, that I saw that just made me think. I don't really have to have a solid opinion on that. I just thought, I just thought that that was something funny to think about. Right, right. That life is a funny paper read backwards, and that way it's it's not that funny anymore. <laughs> so that that's in, that would act, that makes me think about what Glennon talks about the imagination. Mm-hmm. She says that we live by indoctrination, which is what we've been taught. And how we've been taught to live, rather than live by your ma- our, our imagination, which um, then in turn we create our stories. So if I'm looking at that book, reading it from the end to the beginning, mm-hmm. or the paper as he alludes to in that um, interview, I'm using my imagination then to create, go from the ending to the beginning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I can actually see the bigger picture if I look at the end. Yeah. Where to him, he's saying that it's funny. It's crazy. I think of it as maybe hopeful because I'm seeing the end. And I'm not seeing the end as death. I'm seeing the whole picture of of life mm-hmm. on this side. Yeah. You know? So then I would hope that if I'm using my imagination rather than living by indoctrination, because indoctrination is how you think you're supposed to live as opposed to how you want to live. Hmm. Indoctrination is, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you ought to do. Imagination is, this is how I really want to live. Yeah. This is what makes me happy. This is coming from an authentic place. Yeah. These are my dreams. Mm-hmm. This is who I am in my, at my core. So if I live, if I look at the big picture, if I look at the end of the story based on my imagination, then I would... I think that puts me in a happy place because the bigger picture I would hope is a happy picture. Yeah. If you're living a life that's fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we go back to what is a life that is fulfilled? What is the meaning of life? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Is it about doing or is it about being? That's the thing where I'm just like... Or is it a combination of both? I think it's everything. I think everything Mm -hmm. we ever ask in the entire world is that it's always a combination of both. It's always a balance. 
And that's my thing. I feel like the term balance, like I was just talking to my friend about this the other day mm -hmm. and I was saying that I'm very overwhelmed with all of the roles that I have right now as an academic student, as a worker, as uh, someone who's essentially a roommate within all of you guys during this quarantine. Yeah, with five roommates. That I have mm -hmm. all of these like roles and they're all time um, sensitive. They're all prioritized as first. Mm -hmm. They all have due dates and it, and it feels very, very, very exhausting. And the, the obvious response to that is, well, then you need a balance. And in my head, I'm like, girl, the word balance exists, but I don't think, I don't think it, it, that it exists. It can't. What do you mean? I think it can. I think that that's, that's the trap that, um, that we're all indoctrinated to believe. That the, that balance doesn't exist. That balance exist. doesn't exist. And I think that, um, okay. Balance is an even in distribution of weight, enabling someone or something to remain upright and steady. So when you're feeling, you're not feeling steady, and obviously there's not that, um, oh, I have to use the word balance, in terms of the proportion of work and your state of being, I think that's where you start to feel the... Um, the heaviness, yeah. the stress, you know, because when you're constantly living by those roles, you're defined by those roles, then you're, you're defined by doing instead of just being. Mm -hmm. I think when you give your permission to just give yourself permission to be and you eliminate all those roles, a couple things can happen. Either what you find is really pleasant because you enjoy the solitude, you enjoy the peace, you enjoy who you are in your inner being. Or you find that you really don't like who you are. And sitting in that beingness is a very uncomfortable place for a lot of people. Because we're so defined by our roles. Yeah. Purpose is defined by what we're doing. That's what we're indoctrinated to believe. That you must do in order to have value. But in the process, I mean, it's not even that, like, I misinterpret that. I need to be doing something in order for me to feel good about myself. I don't think that's true. No. I don't think that's true at all. You need to do in order to fulfill your responsibilities. Yeah, and I feel like mm -hmm. my thing is that if I don't do, someone else goes without. I think that's... Or the consequences, you get a bad grade. Yeah, so I think it's more or less of like right now, I feel like I'm, I'm um, trying to hurry up so that I can avoid the consequences of not doing these things. But ultimately, I think, though, the question is, we do have to do. I have to get up every morning and I have to work. Yeah. If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, then I'm not being responsible. So there's responsibilities that we have to follow through with. Yeah. Right? Because that's the way this, this world that we live in is we have responsibilities that we have to fulfill in order for us to be compensated in some way. You with a good grade so that you can get your degree. Me so that I can um, get paid and I can provide for my family. Yeah. So those the, there are those certain roles that we have to fulfill. But ultimately, stripped of those roles, who are you? And are you okay with that? I when don't. you strip yourself of those roles, are you okay with the, the apparent nothingness? I feel like I wouldn't. 
you wouldn't be okay. And I think that's the reason why I feel like I have to get up so early. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like 9 o'clock hits. I can't go to sleep longer than that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's why? because of... Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dr. Chase said this, too. That in... Um, I said something in class mm-hmm. because I was reading Streetcar and I was reading Miss Julie and these other plays. And the only option for all of these people that were like the protagonists in the story was suicide. That was their only option. They were like, oh my God, I made this one mistake. Granted, these are stories that are happening like way before the 21st century, even like mm-hmm. 19th century. And these people are like, I made this mistake. My only option is to kill myself. And I know in the book for The Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, Mm -hmm. he ponders that question of, you know, what is the search for meaning and, you know, why, like, why suicide is an option, why it's not an option for certain people. And not to get too dark, you know, but I just said that to Dr. Chase and Dr. Chase said, uh, I forget the name of the playwright he mentioned, but he said, um, this person argues that the only reason why we stay alive is because of guilt. <laughs> and I thought... Guilt in what way? Like, I thought that was funny. Guilt? I mean, to apply it to myself is the only reason why I get up in the morning is because I feel guilt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only, re- not the only reason, but the, the most... Motivating factor. The most motivating reason I get up early in the morning is because of guilt. Mm-hmm. The most mi- motivating reason I do all my homework is because of guilt. And the most motivating reason I like for a lot of things is I will feel guilty if I don't do it. What's the opposite of guilt? Girl, you tell me. Is it freedom? <sighs> um so it could be you get up in the morning because you choose to. So it's like we have to retrain ourselves as to how we look at situations. Because guilt is not uh, a good feeling. I know it's not, but it gets it me be, out of bed. It could be a motivating factor. <laughs> it gets me out of bed, man. <laughs> I'm sure it does, but it's not a good feeling because it, you're probably, it's more of a, uh, uh, what do you, what's the word I'm It's not a, a dread. Feeling. It's more of a dread. Like, yeah. I have to get up. Oh my gosh, I got to get up before Deppy gets up so that I'm awake and I'm not just laying here doing sh- nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, nothing. You know, instead of I want to get up because I want to have a cup of coffee. I want to enjoy the silence of the morning, the sunlight when, sunlight that, that shines through that bay window there, which I love. And, um, and I want to get up and let the first thing I say is thank you. Yeah. Because right now the times that we're living in, the fact that we can open our eyes in the morning and breathe on our own is something to say thank you, to be grateful for. I find myself feeling extremely grateful right now when I open my eyes and I'm like, okay, I'm breathing. I'm good. All is well. All is well. You know? So it's a change of how we view things. Yeah. Because guilt is a heavy emotion to live with. Yeah, it's not. It's not pleasant. It's just funny for me to like think that guilt does... Guilt, like if somebody were to ask me like, how much guilt do you have in your life? Now that I'm able to think about it, I think I have a lot. And that's what, yes, that's what fuels all of this. And that's why I'm so frustrated right now with like all my academic responsibilities. Well, maybe it's because how you're looking at it then. Yeah. Because guilt to me is paralyzing. 
Nah, it's got me doing shit. Like, <laughs> really? It's really got me like... I think guilt is a paraly paralyzing emotion. I think it paralyzes me for a few minutes. Where it's like, and the, yeah, but then you seem so curse the wind. Yeah, I curse the wind. Um, I just think that guilt is upsetting. Guilt is, is not a freeing emotion. Yeah, I know. I like just to preface. Like I know that guilt is absolutely not the best way to fuel my fire. But I'm just being <laughs> honest right now. No, like it that, is. and I appreciate that. I think that's really because I think that a lot of people operate like that based on guilt rather than freedom. And it goes back to I think I just keep on going back to what Glennon says in her book that this is how we're indoctrinated. We are used to doing things based on guilt. I got to do this because if I don't do this and that's going to happen and then this is going to happen, it's going to all be my fault. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like that the, the curse continues. Like if I don't, I, I don't have to cook every day for the family. But I'll tell you, if I don't cook and I just don't do anything, I definitely will feel guilty. Yeah. You know, or I could look at it as. This is a lot of fun. I love cooking for them. I love sitting down and I love eating together. Some people got to fool themselves into believing that though. Like some <laughs> of us do not like that. <laughs> We're like, but can't like, we find oh. the silver lining? Yeah, I think it I think it's all about finding the silver lining and I think it's we purpose too because we can't dread. It can't be like we're always trying to walk through thick mud. You know, and from the mud, we go to quicksand. Ooh. Crap. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. I, um... You know? To tie it in with the texts that we're reading, I feel like... Like, I'm just going to read this. Mm -hmm. I'll probably make the parallel in the middle of it. So, mm -hmm. please be patient. <laughs> but one of the... One of the characters in Waiting for Gado... Um, uh, a character that they met the previous day had passed by and um, they had an entire encounter with him. And then the next day that they saw them, uh, saw this, these people, um, they were completely different than the day that they saw them before. And they're kind of like in this state of like, didn't we see this guy yesterday? I'm pretty sure we saw this guy yesterday, but mm -hmm. what happened to him? Does he remember us? Like all this stuff. So he's passed out on the floor and the one character is trying to get the other character to come help him up. But mm -hmm. the other character is like, no, like, let's not. Let's make him, you know, offer us some money or something to help him. What's in it for me? <laughs> What's in it for me? <laughs> uh -huh. And the one character um, responds with this. Let us not waste our time in idle discourse. Let us do something while we all have the chance. It is not every day that we are needed. To all mankind, they were addressed. Those cries for help still ringing in our ears. But at this place, at this moment of time, all mankind is us, whether we like it or not. Let us make the most of it before it is too late. Mm, and That's um, really good. It's so hard to take these quotes out of context because there's so much in between. Mm -hmm. Like, this is so hard to address without addressing the entire uh, But I think scene. there's some stuff there that's applicable to... Um, everyday situations. Could you read the last part of it again? Mm -hmm. To all mankind? Yes. To all mankind, they were addressed, those cries for help still ringing in our ears. But at this place, at this moment of time, all mankind is us, whether we like it or not. 
Let us make the most of it before it is too late. All mankind is us. Let us make the most of it before it's too late. Yeah. I think that was the essence of that. Mm-hmm. And in the process, idle discourse. What's the what's the one? I think you have a you told me a scripture before about uh, hands being idle or something. Or am I pulling that about laboring? I've, I always talk to you about laboring to enter into rest. Yeah. And is there something about idle hands? I maybe I can't think about it, it right probably now. Is. Well, something about having idle well, hands. Well, we talk. I'll look for it. But um, I like that he's saying that all mankind is us. And basically, we got to step up. Yeah. We cannot define humanity as something that's out there, outside of us. We are humanity. Mm-hmm. We are mankind. Therefore, it depends on you to step up. It depends on me to step up. I can only step up for me. Yeah. And what does that mean for you? Once again, it goes back to uh, the being and the doing the essence of who we are and how we're choosing to live out the essence of who we are here on this earth. Yeah. I think that's why I feel like I really like the beginning of it when mm-hmm. he says, let us not waste our time in idle discourse. Let us do something while we have the chance. It is not every day that we are needed. I think me, I stuck to that part because in throughout the entire script, they're just waiting for Gado. And a lot of people might interpret that as waiting for God, waiting for death, waiting for the end. And in the in the mm-hmm. time leading up to it, um, what are we doing with that time before it's too mm-hmm. late? What mm-hmm. is the too late? Is it the too late that these people are going to be gone? Is it the too late that I'm going to be gone? Um, that was something that I was just kind of like sifting through. And in the process of figuring out what is the purpose for my life, what is the purpose for mm-hmm. waiting for God or waiting for death? What am I doing in those moments in between, which can be super long years you live to 107 or unfortunately you know it death is unfortunate it just always is unfortunate it feels unlucky mm-hmm. but like in the process i think it's that's why tennessee williams says it's a funny paper forward mm-hmm. and then a funny paper backwards it seems really sad because we hear about the death you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, first so and foremost. He's starting at the death. So. I think one is kind of so celebratory versus right. one being like after it was too late. Yeah. Like so forward. It's like it's the irony of life that no matter what you do, if you look at the story from the end, um, if you look at it backwards, yeah. all this, we're going to end up dying no matter what, man. Yeah, that just seems what you do. not fun and it not really funny. It really doesn't. But if you're reading it from forward to the end, which makes me think of, like, New Orleans, like, funerals, like, where they're super celebratory, Mm -hmm. and it's not about the last moment that you were on Earth. It's not. It's the life you lived. It's the life you lived. That matters, yeah. And um, I don't know if that necessarily answers the question of, like, what's the purpose of life? But you know what's really interesting? Now that you say that about celebratory, and you think about memorials you think about eulogies i've been to quite a few because i've lost a lot of people in my life or or have gone to other people that have lost um, loved ones their funerals you never hear them mention um the roles other than a role that was attached to their being so for example i think of my cousin who talked about her father she talked about his qualities as a human being. Mm. 
He would give you the shirt off his back. He was... Um, it's always about integrity of character. Mm-hmm. It's not, boy, I really remember him for those millions of dollars that he had. That was amazing. <laughs> it's not that. It would be more, what did he do with the millions of dollars? Yeah. And that's always tied into who you are as a human being, the integrity of who you are. And that's service. What you do with that money, that's service. And that's tied into integrity. That's tied into compassion. That's tied into love. Mm. So it's like, can our, can we then look at purpose as what am I doing and what characteristic, what uh, virtue is it tied into? Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, let's think about you doing a play. Obviously, you're not the play. Yeah. Right? You are the virtue, though, that brings about whatever emotion in another person that is evoked because of your portrayal in that play. Yeah. And that could be... Oh, sorry. That's okay. That could be kindness. That could be compassion. That could be the desire to be a better person. That could be a realization that they can do better for their lives. I think of a person in a domestic violence situation... And say you like the last portrayal you did in Othello, mm-hmm. and a woman realizes that's me, and I no longer want to be in this situation. Yeah. Because all paths lead lead to death when yeah. you're in a situation like that. So then you become the virtue that is awakened within a person because of your portrayal, because of your role. Yeah, I think, and that was something that I had been talking to Alejandro about is because I'm reading all these plays, and it's almost like having a bunch of conflicts in your hand. You know, that these mm-hmm. conflicts mm-hmm. just exist and they're so tangible because they're in words, they're in books, they're in something that I can hold. And I was telling Alejandro in the process, like, I think my, what fuels my fire for mm-hmm. theater, if I want to tag it into me saying that guilt really fuels my fire, um, is that I feel like I have to save every character from themselves or from the world of the play for them in these mm-hmm. in these scripts because mm-hmm. if not no one's going to take care of them because i know how their end i know i know the ending of their story mm-hmm. you know so if it if i am talking about blanche i'm sad i want to hold on to her i want to save her because i know how her ending goes mm-hmm. and if i can hold on to her and take care of her and hug her after I know the really sad ending that she doesn't know is about to happen, then I've done something that's aligned with my purpose. Mm-hmm. But in the process, like, that becomes very mentally exhausting. Because I know Blanche just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I know Blanche doesn't exist as just one person. She's mm-hmm. millions of other women and men and affected how, in the same way. How can you way. carry that over then into humanity? Because you're talking about characters within a play mm-hmm. but then how do you pour, how do you live that out with the people in your life that or the different people that you encounter in your life I, doesn't that make you want to be a compassionate person because you know everybody's ending right you know yeah. Blanche's ending even though it changes for the way endings come about for people it's, it's different in everybody's life obviously and I feel like right now we're dealing with a lot of endings yes and we there's are there's no turnaround time for grief it's just this person this morning this person tomorrow morning this person exactly. the next morning and it's it's 
it feels so like I'm trying to play catch up with who to mourn first. Right. And it just feels so hopeless and pointless and frustrating. And I just, I feel guilty. Being I feel alive. guilty. I feel guilty being alive. I feel guilty. And having privileges. Yeah, and having privileges. Like, how can you shift that perspective? I mean, it goes into gratitude, but I just feel like right now, the, everything's at such a heightened stake mm -hmm. and so fast and so it's like getting closer and closer and closer that it's hard to have gratitude in the midst of all of this that you feel like when even when you are being grateful it's not enough it's mm -hmm. not enough to fight the guilt it's not enough to honor the lives that are ending it's it just doesn't feel like an, a lot it doesn't feel fair it doesn't feel fair yeah and there's a certain paralysis that comes with that guilt, mm -hmm. you know, of why should I be allowed to have this or live like this and so-and-so wasn't able to. Yeah. So then does it, it really comes down to um, trusting, and this is hard, trusting that things are as they sh should be, mm -hmm. that can we believe that it was that person's time. And they lived a life of purpose and it was time for them to go on to whatever their next mission is Yeah. within their existence. Because if we shift how we look at situations, and it's hard, man. I'm not saying that this is easy, but if I look at my father's death, for example, or my little brother's death, death and I think, I had one of my aunts told me this once. I said, you know, I really have a hard time accepting my little brother's death at that point I was talking to her about. And she said to me, it was his time. I'm like, oh, I hate that answer. Yeah, don't you hate that I answer? Feel like, I feel like life is off the hook by giving that answer. But then at the same time, if I don't look at it like that and understand that, perhaps that was the length of his mission in life was seven years. And he lived it in such a grand, grandeur manner, and he fulfilled it that that was it. Yeah. That was it. The joy, the love that he brought, the laughter, the grace, it was meant for those seven years. Can I accept that as a gift, or do I focus on the death, and do I get angry and say, you know what, that's not fair. Life is ugly. It's unfair. There is no God. Yeah. Which is... The, the emotion that it brings up for me if I just focus on the injustice um, of death itself mm -hmm. that we ought and to live forever. That exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. And he was actually in the car accident. My little brother died in a car accident. He, um, it was the person that was driving the other vehicle that hit um, the car that my brother was in was actually um, drunk. Mm. So then you start looking at all these layers and thinking, oh, had he not been drinking, had this not happened, had that happened, had my father not gone to the park that day, which my little brother didn't want to go to the park that day, but my father said, go to the park while I'm working, blah, 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 all these what ifs, what ifs. I can't ever find peace. Yeah. So I have to shift my perspective. Yeah. And you know what that makes me think of? What? So in reading, in Waiting for Gado, right? Essentially, they're waiting, right? Mm -hmm. And 
So two things. There's this one character named Lucky, and Lucky doesn't talk or he's practically um, mm -hmm. a servant to this to this character named Pazo. Okay. And they Pazo tells him, "Go ahead, do make him do something. Tell him to dance or something. Mm -hmm. What something that he does is think." Mm -hmm. And they go and put the bowler hat on top of Lucky, and Lucky goes into this enormous monologue that has no punctuation marks. Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and it's just this humongous thought. It's him thinking. Mm -hmm. And in the, in, the, um, in the monologue, he says, for reasons unknown about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten times, he says, for reasons unknown within two pages of text for a monologue. And I think there's this, this need for us to surrender to this concept of reasons unknown. That we have to surrender to, un, like your mystery bag. I was just going to say, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's for your own peace of mind. Yeah, for reasons unknown. And I don't gotta really figure it out for you reasons unknown right. we pass away for reasons unknown right. we go through pandemics for reasons unknown we are taken advantage of by the government and you know for reasons unknown these people don't have access to basic health care for reasons unknown and it seems like we would have the answer to them off of like human interaction and the way that things go but like on a greater scale they are for reasons unknown, and it's so hard to reconcile and come to peace with. Mm -hmm. For reasons unknown, I exist. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I don't. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are really great moments of happiness and joy and, and uh, peace mm -hmm. that we come to. And I think I, I don't know if it was the last episode that I asked you, but it just seems like pain lingers so long mm -hmm. and happiness doesn't. And it and in reading Waiting for Godot, it seemed like everything was a choice. Mm -hmm. That they chose to they chose like oh, okay, here's one part. That they chose this. This is what it made me think of that happiness is simply a choice and that's all mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. uh, because they say in, in Waiting for Godot, they say, um, I'm reading back and forth as Vladimir and Estragon. And he says, Vladimir says, you must be happy too, deep down, if you only knew it. Happy about what? To be back, to be back with me again. Would you say so? Say you are, even if it's not true. What am I to say? Say, I am happy. I am happy. So am I. So am I. We are happy. We are happy. Silence. What do we do now, now that we are happy? <laughs> so that's... I love that. That's the mm -hmm. interaction between both of them and Vladimir's response to Estragon saying, what do we do now, now that we are happy? Vladimir says, wait for Godot. I mean, Gado. Mm -hmm. And in the process of now that I'm happy, what do I do? That I always have to be doing something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, then you wait. 
wait for God, wait for death. You mm-hmm. wait for the end. Or you just make peace with the unknowing. Yeah. You just move on. I'm happy. We're happy. Cool. All right. Yeah. Let's continue the waiting. I think because we're humans, we're always, we just question everything. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we just have to let things be. I have to be reasons unknown. Yeah, there's, we want, exactly. We have to be okay with the, for reasons unknown. Mm. There's this quote from um, Letters to a Young Poet, um, Rainer Maria Rilke is the writer of the, the Letters to a Young Poet. And he says, have patience with everything that remains unresolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot be given to you because you cannot live them. It is a question of experiencing everything. At present, you need to live the question. Perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. Some distant day. So it's like being okay. Just being okay with those, with the questions. Love the questions themselves. And it's easier said than done. But that goes back to the mystery bag that I was telling you about the other day that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said that he has a mystery bag for life. And he puts all of his unanswered questions in that bag. (laughs) And he learns to be okay with having that mystery bag and having those unanswered questions. And he said every so often he'll revisit that mystery bag and he'll look at the questions and realize that he has some answers for some of those questions. And for those that he does not have the answers, he's okay with them. So it's learning to love the questions themselves. And he puts the question back in the bag. And he'll revisit it at another time. But it's not letting the quest- the questions the um, bother us so much and control us so much that we can't find peace. Mm. It's like you were saying earlier, it's being okay with the for reasons unknown. Yeah. Because we don't have answers for everything. And we need to be okay with that. Yeah. We need to find peace with that. And we can't allow the unknowing to paralyze us and to stop us from enjoying our present circumstances. And I'm not talking about the quarantine because nobody enjoys the fact that other people are suffering. I'm talking about living in the moment. Yeah. And being aware of this moment that we're living in right now. Yeah. I think... The one morning, it was the other morning, where it just seemed so tough that I had heard about a loss uh, closely related to my family. And then on top of it, the pandemic and just mm-hmm. knowing the reality of the numbers and knowing that those numbers aren't exactly true. They're probably a lot higher than what we think they are. And um, then I just got stuck on the void of Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Facebook, uh, I just started seeing a lot of um, social injustice Mm -hmm. being captured on camera. And it just seemed like Mm -hmm. everything just wasn't... um, As it ought to be. As it ought to be. And I could do nothing. Mm -hmm. I could do nothing but honor these people's existence. That's all I could do. That was Mm -hmm. the only thing that I was able to do is just honor that Mm -hmm. this is going on. Okay. And ultimately, that's all we can do, Lisette, right? Is honor their existence. I mean, we can, we grieve. Obviously, we have to grieve. We're human. But ultimately, the the goal after the grieving, once we come out of it, and there's no timeline on grieving, you grieve as long as you need to grieve. Um, 
and however you need to grieve. That's a personal experience. But when we're talking about human loss, then it comes, the resolution for that grief is honoring the life of that which was lost. Yeah. So then how do we honor that which was lost? And um, Some of that's like fasting for a day. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like for some people. Some people it looks like... um, living to your full potential because other people can. their life, right? Yeah. Sometimes it might be writing something that that person inspired you and you offer it um, as thanksgiving for their life. Yeah. You know, um, I'm trying to think, like, with with my dad, that's part of why I wrote close. It was, you know, for him and for my little brother, I wanted to write some kind of love letter to Puerto Rico. And then it kind of took a different route than I expected. And then I also thought about my little brother. Um, When he passed away, how I would hide in closets and I would cry a lot in a closet. So then this play became about something that was magical. Yeah. A place that was sad can now be used for healing. And that was a gift, I believe, that was given to me through his death. I was able to take something that was so sad and make something, create something magical out of it because of them. Yeah. You know, so there are, there are gifts that people leave us with their deaths. Yeah. It's finding those gifts that they have left us with their death. Yeah. And that's And sometimes it comes through waiting. Yeah. Like waiting for it to, to arise, waiting for those gifts to become visible and more clear. That's tough. It's it's like like Randa Maria Rilke says in the letters to a young poet, we have to learn to love the questions themselves. And loving the question is not as easy as loving the answer. Ooh, that's tough. It is, isn't it? That's tough. Uh, one more one more quote that I think ties in as well is um, there's a character named Pazzo, and Pazzo says in the script, um, the tears of the world are a constant quantity. For each one who begins to weep somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, begins to weep somewhere else, another stops. The same is true of the laugh. Let us not then speak ill of our generation. It is not any unhappier than its predecessors. Let us not speak well of it either. Let us not speak of it at all. It is true the population has increased. And I think that's why we probably... Mm-hmm. I think what he's saying in that is that... <laughs> <laughs> did you hear that? I did. It's, okay. it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I, I think what he's saying is that misfortune, pain, grief, happiness, joy, any of those things, mm-hmm. those are things that constantly exist. They are exactly. at a constant quantity. Mm-hmm. What has increased, right? is the population. Mm -hmm. It's not that these feelings ever became Mm -hmm. more unhappy Mm -hmm. or they have to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, analyzed in terms of quantity. Who's, who's the more unhappy? Were we more unhappy in 1960 versus now or blah, 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 blah. And it's not that we have to qualify, um, qualify or quantify Mm -hmm. who was on most unhappy it's more or less of just understanding that unhappiness existed and will always exist the only thing that kind of changes is 
how many of us exist, you know? We can't right. argue that population has increased, but you can't argue the inherent goodness or badness or, you know, mm-hmm. what was more lingering uh, in terms of misfortune and unhappiness and uh, unsurety. Because mm-hmm. this feeling of unsurety has been felt before, mm-hmm. you know? This is something that... Oh, yeah, it's throughout history and, it, and just in daily life itself. I mean, we go through the, the ups and downs in our daily life. The, the, the paradox of, of life is, you know... I think that's good what with it evil. is. There's good there's with evil. There's laughter and there's, there are tears. There's happiness and there's sadness. And it's always, there's always that paradox. And how do we learn to celebrate in the midst of the paradox. How do you learn how to celebrate the ending? Like, how do you... That's the thing. That's the thing that I'm just so... Oh, that's really important. How do you learn how to celebrate the ending? So being aware that there's an ending, that it's the same for every single human oh. being on this earth, what becomes then important in order to, to be able to celebrate that ending is how you lived up until that ending. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing where I'm just so, like... I feel so floaty. I feel like I'm just floating around in the the term paradox mm-hmm. and assigning that word paradox to life to mm-hmm. existence that life and existence all are a paradox it's moments of irony it's moments fleeting moments mm-hmm. of happiness the happiness is a choice but you know that you know happiness doesn't come without pain and yada 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 that everything is just a paradox and that's something that i'm learning to reconcile with that I have to accept. Yeah, life life is an ebb and flow of uh, stations of emotions. You know, this station is happiness. This station is is sadness, and it it just it's that's ever ever changing. I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted by animals. There's a little squirrel outside on the fence, but <laughs> it's learning to be okay with those stations. You know, and accept that it's part of the ebb and flow. It's part of the paradox of life. And what I I guess then it becomes how do we get through those stations in life? You know, do we sit in them? Do we become paralyzed by the stations in life? The difficult ones because the easy ones, hey, we're enjoying them. Yeah. But right now with this... The station that we're in is requiring us to find silver linings that perhaps we weren't even aware of before going through this pandemic. Yeah. And it's a little bit more work to do that, to find those silver linings. Yeah. And it's the right kind of work. It is. And it's. I think that's... It's the only way to get through this. It's the virtuous kind of work. It is. It's... Yeah. And for people to be like, well, how do you how do you measure what is right and what's wrong, right? What you just said about Glennon Doyle earlier about mm-hmm. her saying that it's not about f- it's not about qualifying things on what's right and wrong. It's about what is it about? What is she? Well, she talked about the difference of indoctrination and imagination. Indoctrination being the shoulda, woulda, oughta, and then imagination where you create your own story. Yeah. And she, she, her invitation is to live a life of imagination rather than indoctrination. Yeah. But you so, said something You said something about not qualifying your life. Hey there, little puppy. 
<laughs> hey there, little birdie. He did. Oh, he's birdie. staring at me. He told me to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wrap, wrap it up, up homegirl. Uh-huh. Um, but she said something about not uh, not leading her life thinking about what's right and wrong, thinking about what's true and beautiful. And beautiful. Mm-hmm. And s- yeah, I don't know what else I was gonna say after that. Well, that's okay. That. Yeah, we'll we'll get back on track. Um, Not what's right and wrong, what's true and beautiful. So then that becomes the invitation. If you are to live a life that is... What does a life that is true and beautiful look like to you? Mm. In the midst of this difficult situation that we're going through. If you were to live your life and you were able to choose how you're going to live your life which ultimately it's we do have that freedom to create the 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 life that we want to live Mm -hmm. what would it look like yeah is it a doing or is it a being where you being while you're doing oh it might just be where i'm at right now but it feels like doing it feels like doing that's what it feels like it feels like right now i have to be doing in order to be just to make it right to be truth and and beautiful uh, or to be true and beautiful is that but then how do you tra- be- you got to transform it though because it's upsetting you a lot yeah and i think that that's the part that's difficult is that you're not okay with that's it that's not beautiful yeah that you're feeling, not okay with that it that feeling is not beautiful yeah so it's learning to be okay with it yeah and find the silver lining in it which a lot of times so the silver lining can be found in a situation like that is by looking at people that don't have it, that would love to have the opportunity to have an education, that would love to be assigned to read a play to discuss it, but don't have that because they don't, there's you know we don't have equal access to education, mm-hmm. you know, and yet you have that privilege. So then, how do you use it for good? Yeah, I know it's tough. I know it's tough because all of this is a paradox. All of it is a paradox, and all of it's ironic, and all of it is like it's unknown. It needs a balance. It's an FFT. Oh my god! It just is so frustrating. Frustrating because it's like I just have to say for reasons unknown, for reasons unknown, and be okay with it. Just chill out. It's the mystery bag, girl. (laughs) Put it in the mystery bag. But then control what you can. Yeah. Which is ultimately our attitude about things. Yeah. It's how we look at something and how we allow it to affect us. That's the only thing we can control. And that's, that's a skill that we learn yeah. with discipline and with having reminders from other people. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? You seriously have an attitude problem right now. <laughs> we keep each other in check. So maybe that's how we can wrap this up, guys. Yeah. Let's help keep each other in check during this difficult time. Yeah. You know. Um, and know that a mystery bag is an option. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you don't have to do to have value. You can just be. Yeah. You don't have to be an essential worker to have value right now, which a lot of people are finding they're getting tripped up with the whole essential worker yeah. definition and allowing it to affect who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be an essential worker to be essential. You are essential. Yeah, you are essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it, girl. I know, I sound all depressed and shit. No, I feel good. I feel good. Yeah. It's I all feel- right. 
Yeah. We don't always have to ha- end this with, like, I figured life out. Sometimes it's got to be, let's figure it out together. You're so right. You know, this could be part one of our figuring it out. Yeah. Next week we'll come back and let you know what we figured out, if anything. It'll be nothing. I didn't figure out anything. I'm no, hopeful. I I'm hopeful. <laughs> I am hopeful. I figured out a little bit. Yeah. I figured out how to clink. Yes. Okay, everybody. So, get your cups, get your mugs. Oh, hey. If you're listening to this in the evening, get your glass. Yes. And for reasons unknown. For reasons unknown. See you later, little birdie. See you later, little birdie.